As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Presented by CSN, I'm Chase Hughes of CSNMidAtlantic.com, joined by Wizards insider Jay Michael, and we're going to be coming at you guys at least once a week, maybe twice a week for the rest of the season and beyond, talking Wizards. We'll have exclusive interviews with players, uh, members of the front office, coaches if we can get them, and I'm sure you'll hear from Steve Buckhantz and Phil Chenier and Chris Miller, and uh, we'll break down what we can about Wizards games, and maybe even uh, Jay Michael will uh, sing a little Prince for you like he did preseason with uh, Chris Miller. Yeah, <laughs> nice voice. So. Yeah, Jay Michael's got a good voice, so maybe if you keep listening, we'll treat you to that. But today, this is our first episode, and we want to focus on the trade deadline, which is coming up in less than two weeks from now. And the Wizards have obviously turned their season around. They look like one of the best teams in the conference, maybe even in the NBA, but they can still get better. Right now, I think it, evaluating this team has a lot to do with Jan Mahinmi. He's back, and they have to kind of evaluate the team with him to t- try to see what their needs are. Jay, how long do you think that will take? Uh, it's going to take, you know, all the way up until the All-Star break, which is the Wizards' last game pre-All-Star break is February 16th. So they don't come back till February 24th. So the trade deadline is the 23rd. So they really have a week to play with to kind of figure out exactly what they have. Uh, can he contribute at a higher level, the level they expected when paying him $16 million a year? Can he be that kind of backup? If he is, then I think that shifts the, the, the priority to other places going into the trade deadline. So I say give Mahimi, you know, that's what, three more games, and then you'll be able to figure out exactly where they stand before they go forward. And if the Wizards don't make a trade before the deadline, be prepared for them to say that they had a trade deadline acquisition and getting Jan Mahini back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's how teams will spin that sort of thing. But, exactly. uh, you know, regardless, it is a pretty big addition to their roster. I think a lot of teams would like to add a rim protector and a, a player who could play defense like he can with that experience at this time in the season. But the Wizards uh, bench could still use some depth. Uh, they're 29th in minutes played, 29th in points, um, and it's really about quantity and how much Scott Brooks has trusted them because there's some other numbers that just suggest they haven't been that bad. They just haven't been playing that much. So, uh, you know, their starting five is good. When you look at this bench, what do you think this team could use? Score. Um, you know, when they played Cleveland, the, 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 what separated them from beating the Cavs, despite LeBron James' shot, um, you know, and all the what Kyrie did in overtime, Kyle Korver came off the bench and shot 4 for 8 from three-point range. Um, and if you take that out of the equation, despite all the other great things Cleveland did, um, the Wizards not only win that game, they win that game pretty comfortably in regulation. So 
do they have a guy who can come off the bench and do that? To me, that's not Kelly Oubre's role. His role is defense, and he can hit some spot-up shots here and there, and that's okay. Uh, he has to grow into being a better offensive player. But do you have a guy that can come in like a Corver? Uh, Mike Dunleavy, back when he was a little bit younger and healthier, he was a guy that would come in. i never forget the playoff game against the Wizards. He came in and dropped 34, 35 points. Uh, that type of guy, do they have a guy on the bench who can do that? Uh, you know, not every game because that's, that's, you know, he's a bench player. Bench players don't do that every game. But can he do that once every couple of games to kind of help them get over the hump? And I think that's what they're missing. The problem is everybody needs a shooter. Yeah. Even teams that have good shooters, they always feel like they need one more. So that's kind of the, 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 the area that they got to find a way to solve. So if you don't go by, by the tra- trade deadline and you don't acquire someone, the next best way, the only other way you could do it is by picking up a free agent. Uh, on the market, somebody who gets bought out of their contract, um, who comes over from overseas like China and is looking for a job. But again, guys like that uh, tend to not be Kyle Korver quality players because if they were, they already would be in the league. Yeah, you talk about teams that already have shooters looking for them. Kyle Korver is a great example because the Cavaliers were already, I think, second in the NBA beyond the Warriors at shooting threes, and then they added Kyle Korver. It's almost like an embarrassment of riches. Um, I don't disagree, although the Wizards did score 135 points in that game with one overtime, but it, it seemed like they were a few shots away from, from taking out um, the, the Cavaliers, and we've seen it time and time again this year where the bench will come in, and they won't be able to sustain a lead or even add to it, and that would certainly help. And, may, and maybe one of the things, too, if you had a Cal Corbett, it's not necessarily that, um, it's not the starting five. The starting five are fine. I put all of those guys aside, but maybe the, a shot or two that Bradley Beal missed in overtime, he makes it because... He's played five or six fewer minutes in regulation, right? And he's a little bit fresher going into that overtime period. So the starting five isn't the problem with the the team. But, yeah, it's like one of those things where there could be long-term benefits later in games. Uh, Maybe when you go to play a game against Brooklyn where you, you know, played an overtime game against Cleveland and your guys are tired, maybe as a result you don't have to rely. Maybe your starters aren't as tired because that Kyle Korver-like shooter has played a little bit more, and Bradley Beal's got more rest. So there can be some trickle-down effect, but it would be ideal. Um, again, I just don't know exactly who is on the market, who you could get who's close to that level without giving up someone in the starting five or future first-round pick. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Beal's minutes. Obviously, Wall is a, another guy that you can throw in there who's been playing a lot of minutes. And I think this deadline right now, if Jan Mahinmi can continue playing, the biggest initiative for them is just to get someone who can help spell Wall and Beal and, and take away some of the workload because behind them they've either got Marcus Thornton who doesn't really have the trust of the coaching staff or a Thomas Hadaransky or Sheldon McClellan who are just too inexperienced and you can't rely on them all that much. And Ubre and Otto Porter, even though they're swingmen, small forward, they slant more towards power forward if you're going to flex them to another position. People keep bringing up Serge Ibaka to me, which is makes no sense because you already have Markeith Morris, the chemistry to start in five is good. You don't want to break that up. Serge Ibaka is making $12.5 million a year. He's about to be an unrestricted free agent. So are you going to give up a first-round pick for a guy like Ibaka when, let's say, if, he come, if you make that deal by All-Star break? You only got him for 27 games. Would you give up a first-round pick in this draft? No matter how good of a player you can get in the short term with no guarantee that you can keep him in the future, No. Right. Nobody in their right mind does it, and that's kind of the problem. Like, the draft is deep. You want to stick with your picks. I think more likely than not, they would ride this one out um, and, and play the long game 
rather than playing the short game, unless they think whatever player that they can secure will get them past Cleveland, not only get them to the Eastern Conference Finals, make them a strong candidate to get past Cleveland to the NBA Finals. Now, if you actually believe that, then maybe you make such a deal. Right. But, man, that is one hell of a risk to take. Yeah, I looked at the uh, upcoming free agent list, and it's not going to be that simple where you can get a rental because a lot of these guys either make too much money or you're going to have to give up too much to get them, or they're just not fits. You know, Nerlens Noel is an impending free agent. Uh, Miritich from the Bulls. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope of uh, the Pistons, although I don't think they're letting him go. So I think you're probably looking at someone who's got more of a, maybe two or three years left on their deal. Um, once again, you're listening to the Wizards Tip-Off podcast. I'm Chase Hughes alongside Wizards insider Jay Michael. We're talking about the NBA trade deadline, which is coming up in less than two weeks. Uh, another question regarding the deadline is how much is team chemistry a, a concern and with how well they have they played if they don't do anything is that the end of the world no it's not the end of the world and that's why I think if in doubt you stand pat because if you break up this starting five to me it's a it's a bad move unless you're telling me the player that you're going to get is you know I don't, I'm not, not not Carmelo Anthony you know no people <laughs> talking about Carmelo um, if you're going to tell me the player that you're going to get is going to make your starting five better. So you have to, to me, not look at just that individual player and his skill set, but does he make other guys around him better? Is he going to fit that? So it's about fit. Um, and I, I don't see anybody out, out there right now who a team is willing to give up who would be worth breaking up this starting five for. So you could say, well, Carmelo will get you 25 points a game. But, yeah, but will Marquise Morris still be getting – you know, 18 and 8. Will Marching Gortat still be having games where he shoots 7 for 7 from the field? Or will a guy like Carmelo be taking shots away from a guy like that, and therefore he'll get his numbers, but the overall chemistry isn't quite as good, and your bench will still be thin? Mm -hmm. So um, I wouldn't touch this starting five, and that's where I think the problem is uh, in terms of making a move. You don't want to mess with the starting five. You don't want to part. You're not going to part with Kelly Oubre. Uh, because you don't know what you're going to happen with Otto Porter in the future. So you, you have to stick with him at that spot. And he's at a good contract. You're going to stick with Thomas Sadoransky, I believe, because I think he has a lot of promise. So you don't want to move away from those guys. So what do you have left that somebody wants they're going to give you a good player for? I, I just don't know. It has to be a player, in my opinion, who a team really wants to part with because they perceive him to be a problem the way Phoenix perceived Marcus, uh, Markeith Morris. It has to be a situation like that where you're going to take a problem off their hands for them. Maybe you can get something done. I just don't see messing with this starting five is a good idea. You saw how well they played against Cleveland. Ernie's done it before. That Markeith Morris trade at the time I got you know him a lot of criticism. I might have been one who criticized it, but in hindsight, Maybe? it looks pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that one's worked out pretty well. In the second year, I want, to, I want to look at the top of the Eastern Conference and what it would take for the Wizards to beat those teams with the deadline in mind, but first of all, I want to throw some names out there for you. These are backup guards that fit my description of guys who could spell Wall and Beal. What I did is I went to basketball reference, and I sorted it by defensive rating. So I made sure that these guys are cheap, they've got experience, and they play pretty well on defense. I've got three names for you. Let me know what you think. The first one I think is the best one, and that is Will Barton. Denver Nuggets. Will Barton's a good defensive player. I don't mind Will Barton at all. I don't think he's a bad player. Uh, Again, you know, what do you have to give up to get him? But I think if you just told me Will Barton's available, there's a deal that can be executed to give him, and you don't have to touch his starting five, or Kelly Oubre or Thomas Sadoransky, I like Will Barton, no problem. He's not that great of a shooter, 
But I think shooting is a thing that if you work on it enough, you can become a better shooter. I'm not as concerned about that. And I think he's shooting better this year. I have him at a 45.1%. It's a career high. He averages about a steal a game. He's making $3 million next year, which is pretty manageable. Contract, yeah. Yeah, and the reason why I like that potential fit is because I think Denver's just, they're not that great of a team, but they've got a, a, a lot of depth. So then maybe they could deal from depth and, and maybe go for a draft pick instead. So that's one name. I think that's the best one I came up with. The second one is Gerald Henderson of Philly. Plays decent defense, shooting 46%. He's making $9 million next year, so they might have to move a contract. But what do you think about him? I, you know, he was one of the guys that when I was doing my off-season projection, like if I were rebuilding this roster, some guys who I would slot in, and I was incorporating salary, how they would fit, and all that sort of stuff. Gerald Henderson was one of my guys that I said that I would bring in as a two-guard. Uh, he's not a three-point shooter, but he's a good mid-range shooter, good athlete. He's a good defender. He's, a, he's not a locker room problem. He's the kind of guy that you want to have around your team. And at $9 million a year, um, based on what the salary cap is, he's at a pretty good number. So uh, I actually like Gerald Henderson. I think teams like that, like Philadelphia, who's not going, which, is, which isn't going anywhere, a team like uh, Denver uh, that you mentioned with Will Barton, um, a team that could be looking to just jettison pieces and start over again, that those are the kind of places that you look for for guys like that. So actually, you're two for two. I actually, I don't two mind two? Okay. one of those guys. Uh, yeah. yeah, Henderson's a scrappy guy off the bench, pretty hard-nosed defensive player. I think, yeah. he, I think he'd be a, a decent fit, uh, can attack the basket. And, and he knocked out Tyler Hansborough. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So. Oh, yeah. He gets a big plus for me. Yeah, for that. I'll shake his hand. I was just saying, I know Maryland doesn't play Duke anymore, but a lot of Maryland fans will probably cringe at seeing <laughs> Gerald Henderson play. Or at least it's not J.J. Redick. But, uh, so the third one is a familiar name that you could probably tell me a lot more about him than I would know. And that's uh, Garrett Temple. He's hurt right now. Yeah. He plays for the Kings. He, he's making $8 million the next two seasons. But combo guard could spell Wall and Beal off the bench. I, I, I say you know him because he played here the last few seasons. Love Garrett. And uh, I was actually I wasn't surprised that he left. Um, he talked briefly to the Wizards uh, in free agency, but they knew going into free agency last year they weren't going to be able to afford him. So Temple had been making only a million. He had been making a veteran minimum. So now he's making seven times his salary at eight million a year. So relative to the market, though, that's a decent contract. That's not an albatross of a contract. So I love Temple. He's become a better three point shooter. Uh, he's become more of a catch and shoot sort of guy defensively. You know, look, he, he, he did a lot. When this team was playing terrible defense last year, which was like 80% of the time, there was usually one guy playing good defense all the time or hustling. It was Garrett Temple. No issues with Garrett Temple whatsoever. I actually thought early in the season when this team started out the way it did, they needed a Garrett, Garrett Temple sort of guy. He could have helped them win a couple of those close games at the end of, at the end of games that they ended up losing. Because uh, I can't forget two years ago, he was put on Kyrie Irving here at Verizon Center, and he shut Kyrie Irving down. Ooh, that the, would come in handy. And the moment he was pulled out of the game, because it was time for Whitman to make his rotation, Kyrie Irving went off for, I think it was four three-pointers in the last minute 18 in the second quarter and ended up scoring a career high that night. Temple had shut him down. And, the moment he and that was the night he found his rhythm. Yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I value Temple very highly. So, oh, you're three for three. Three for three. Okay, Jeez. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I was waiting to pan one. <laughs> how, about, how about Justin Holiday of the Knicks? Although, he, he averages about a steal a game, but a... Justin def- Holiday's not bad. Defensive rating uh, doesn't look too He's good. Not, look, right now, based on what the Wizards benches look like, Justin Holiday's a huge upgrade. So, yeah, okay. Well, I, I mean, I mean, I, look, yeah, I mean, I take those other guys over Holiday, but, you know, it's... I wonder if you ask Garrett Temple or Justin Holiday if you can get him out of the Sacramento locker room or the New York locker room. 
How, oh, how Justin quickly they say yes. <laughs> uh, Justin Holiday, man, tell you right now. He, he will pay the Wizards to come play for him, <laughs> just to get out of New York. Uh, once again, this is the Wizards Tip-Off Podcast, our inaugural edition. And before we wrap this up, I want to go through the teams at the top of the Eastern Conference. And if you could just tell me quickly okay. what it would take for the Wizards to beat them in a playoff series and if they can solve that at the trade deadline. Let's start with Cleveland. Okay. Could they beat them in a series? Yes, they could. I, I'm still taking Cleveland in that series at this point based on the way the teams are constructed. But what closes that gap? I think what closes that gap is they need another guy. Uh, who can defend, uh, who can play at the four position as almost a stretch kind of guy. Marquise does a pretty good job with that because he can defend Kevin Love on a perimeter and in the low post. Could Jason Smith be that guy now that he's the, he could basically be the backup four with Mahini backing up Gortat? He possibly could. I don't, I, I don't feel as good about Jason Smith defending that far out on the perimeter. I, I think Kevin Love still has a huge advantage in that match. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I have to see Jason Smith more like that, but Jason has a habit. I've seen him get beat a lot off pick and rolls when they're playing really high at the top against uh, some really mobile players. I, I, I think you're putting him in a position that's the toughest for him to succeed. It could work, but I think you need another guy at that position who can give Kevin Love some difficulty because you saw when the Wizards went small and put Otto Porter at the four where he plays really well. The one team that he doesn't play well uh, in, in that setup is against Cleveland because Kevin Love can shoot threes, face him up from distance, but if you put Otto Porter on him, he's going to post him up. And what did Cleveland do in that game? They rebounded the hell out of the ball and got second-chance shots because Otto Porter couldn't keep Kevin Love off the boards, couldn't keep Tristan Thompson off the boards. So I think Mahimi helps in that regard with Tristan Thompson, but I still think you need one more big body because the one thing Cleveland can do is play small and play big. Right. Yeah, I, I keep thinking, oh, well, why don't you try Kelly Oubre on him? But they got to put Kelly Oubre on other people. Yes, like there's Cleveland. a couple other guys that yeah. can guard. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what about uh, Boston? The Wizards are 2-1 and one against Boston, I believe, yeah. this year, but they yes. haven't seen Avery Bradley, I think, in both of those wins. Right, that's correct. Yeah, so uh, well, what? I, I think they can beat Boston in a playoff series right now, but yeah. if you're approaching this deadline with Boston in mind, you got to get past Boston. What would you add to this roster? Um, I think they can beat Boston currently as is because I think the starting five, even with Avery Bradley, is better. Um, to beat Boston, you have to be able to defend on the perimeter. And um, because Boston does so much motion offense where you see a lot of dribble handoffs, dribble pitches, and you see Isaiah Thomas coming around that big, getting the ball going full speed into the lane, and it's too late to stop him. Uh, so you have to have aggressive good perimeter defender. So that's where you talk about a Garrett Temple type of guy. That's where you need a Garrett Temple type of guy to make sure you shut that down. I think the Wizards can beat Boston right now because I truly believe this. In a seven-game series, I think a lot of teams can beat Boston because when you can focus on one team, I think they're relatively easier to beat because of the offensive situation. If you look at what Atlanta did to them last year in the playoffs, um, it, it, it's e I think it's easier to defend. Um, their post players don't worry me as much. They play a lot of outside in, and I think they have a lot of good players, solid players, not great players. So I think that's a winnable series for the Wizards as is. I agree. I think you're looking at that backup guard position. Someone who can come in and maybe play with Wall so Wall doesn't have to chase Isaiah Thomas around all game because they're so good at that position. All right, the last team I want to ask you about before we wrap this up is the Toronto Raptors, another team that I know the Wizards haven't had whole, a whole lot of success against this season, uh, just one matchup, I believe. Yeah, right. But I think they could take them in a playoff series if they're playing as well as they have. Recently. Uh, no doubt. I, I've been skeptical of Toronto since day one when DeMar DeRozan was scoring 35, 40 points a game to start the season. 
because I've always believed this about Toronto, and it doesn't have – look, what happened a couple of years ago in the playoffs, it factors in too. But, uh, look, DeMar DeRozan takes bad shots. Kyle Lowry takes a lot of difficult bad shots. I think over the course of an 82-game season, or in this case a seven-game series, that catches up to you because you're not going to be great. You're not going to shoot the ball great every game. The other issue that Toronto has is they don't have a real stretch forward. That was the issue with them last year in the playoffs. That's going to be the issue with them this year because they have Jared Sullinger and Patrick Patterson. Patrick Patterson is more of a backup sort of guy. I think you have Markeith Morris against either one of those guys. It's a huge advantage to the Wizards. And I think given the way Wall and Beal have played against them and solved that problem and been really successful at it, I said earlier this season, put those two guys, DeRozan and Lowry, at their best versus John Wall and Bradley Beal at their best. This keyword phrase, at their best. I'm taking Wall and Bradley Beal. I've seen both groups go against each other at their best, and it was a four-round, four-game sweep. So mm-hmm. I think they can beat Toronto as is, and I think what you're seeing right now from Toronto, they're starting to slip because my theory is that over 82 games, I don't think you can sustain that, and I think that's what's starting to happen with them. I agree with that. I think they beat Toronto because uh, Wall and Beal are going to be too much for that team, and, and we saw what happened when they matched up a few years ago. I think a very similar result would happen again. Last question, yes or no. Do the Wizards make a trade before the deadline? Yes or no. I'm going to say yes because they always come up with something. I don't see how you can do it. I'm still trying to figure out what kind of deal you could possibly make. I'll say yes just because Ernie always comes up with something. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I'm going to be – it's going to blow me on, blow my mind if he can get a good player based on the situation they're in because I just don't think he has a lot of movable pieces right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't make a deal, but I think they're going to sense an opportunity this year, see how evenly they matched up with Cleveland, see what they've done against Boston, know that the Eastern Conference, even though the Cavs have won it the last two years, is kind of wide open for them to make some noise in the playoffs. I think they're going to go for it. I think ownership's going to tell Ernie, all right, let's do it. Not the 2017 first-round pick, maybe the 2018. If they could pull off another trade like Markeith Morris last year, then we're talking. Yeah, they could. And, like, it's, it's, it's really difficult to, like, it's difficult for me to see how they can do it. Look, I know that they've put out feelers. They're looking out there to see what's going on. There hasn't been a lot of activity as of late. Usually when it comes to these trade deadlines, there's a reason why you see most of these trades come to fruition on the day of the deadline or leading up. All of these teams are trying to figure out what the best deal they can get from someone before they pull the trigger. They want to try to squeeze as much out of that orange as they possibly can. So that's why you don't see a bunch of trades jumping off right now. It's not good business. So it doesn't make sense to do it. So... I think Ernie could potentially pull off something, but man, if he can pull off something that makes this team better now and gives him a good run at Cleveland, I mean, it, it, look, it's a roll of the dice. It can work out really well, or we could be talking about this six months from now saying, why did you make that move? But that's, or, that's or why problem. didn't you make a move if they have an injury and depth becomes right. a concern? And so. that's the other thing, too. Injuries kind of factor into it as well. Yeah. If somebody gets injured, you might have to do something. Right. So. In the trade deadline, everything changes day-to-day. Because a team's not interested in a player this week doesn't mean they won't be interested next week because they may have another issue arise that makes that more of a priority. It happens. A lot can change. Like I said, less than two weeks before the trade deadline. I'm sure we'll check in on the subject before the deadline comes and goes and then before the All-Star break comes. Once again, this was the first episode of Wizards Tip-Off presented by CSN. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.